Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Three seconds at midcourt. Jenkins gives it to Jenkins for the championship. And Jenkins, the Drew for the win. Good. Oh! He did it. Bryce Drew did it. Chioza. All right, welcome to the pod. Second one of the week because we're bored. (laughs) So bored, we're willing to talk to each other. (laughs) Hopefully you're so bored you're listening. (laughs) Really warming them up for a good podcast, Dan. (laughs) You got nothing better to do. Boring people talking to boring people while bored. I didn't say we're going to be boring. We're going to be great. High entertainment. Once again, our caveat to those who want to get offended. If you don't talk only about the coronavirus, we know there are important things going on in the world. We just don't care for this hour. (laughs) We're all tucked away in our little houses and dwellings. Social distancing. We're doing our part. Don't don't hate on us. Guys need something to listen to. People get offended, man. They get it's it's rough out there in the social media streets. You kidding me? Man, I don't even want to yeah. admit I opened a window for a couple minutes last night. Well, yeah. No, the thing <laughs> is, I, I, I thought this would be the case, is as people get bored and have little to do other than to go to social media, they're going to get angry. You know, the disruptions in their lives, they don't have much going on, and it's just going to we, – we already thought social media was an angry place. I think it's going to get worse. Not to look on the dark <laughs> side, but <laughs> – I stay off it, man. I get on there. I post my story and I try to read nothing. I just leave. I'm like, I'm looking at this. This is just like, well, or else you just hope it's like, I'm going to die. I guess this is it. Look at this. Look at this story from some random Facebook post from so- someone who's supposedly in Milan, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're inside. So, uh, we actually have some kind of, I guess, news to discuss because uh, yeah. they put out the the screener and the uh, advanced copies of the upcoming HBO documentary, The Scheme, starring basketball middleman Christian Dawkins. Comes out on March 31st at 9 p.m. So we obviously got plenty, plenty of time to look forward to it, but they have a captive audience. Hey. Uh, this is the closest thing we have to March Madness. Now, uh, I admit I am in the film. Too much, uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I, 
They needed a handsome male uh, mm-hmm. co-star. I think yeah. that was the that was the role I played. <laughs> I, I auditioned mm-hmm. for. You know, got to have a little of that. People are going to be sick of seeing you on Netflix. And now this, they're just going to break the quarantine running out of their houses. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix and HBO. Can't escape this guy. This one I was filmed for the second time uh, in a in an abandoned warehouse. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that, that was interesting. Uh, they, uh, they were going for the gritty urban look there, I guess, since it's, you know, it's college basketball, the underbelly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whose who's job was it to find the abandoned warehouse? Like some poor like PA or whatever. They you woke up on a Monday and they were like, hey, go to Detroit and find the grittiest warehouse so we can interview Dan Wetzel in. First off, that's the easiest job on earth is to find an abandoned warehouse in Detroit. Okay. (laughs) They're all all about one minute. I love Detroit, but we have plenty of them. I don't know why I was in a warehouse. Um, I've been covering uh, college basketball, AAU basketball since the late 90s. Never once did I step foot into an abandoned warehouse. But that's that's where we did it. I have no role in the production, though. I am not a producer. I am uh, not an editor. I did nothing other than sit down for a couple hours of interviews in this warehouse. And that was it. So if you like the film, don't blame me. Or don't credit me. If you don't like it, don't blame me. I was just, I'm the innocent on this one. I was just there to to add a, add a pretty face, obviously. Obviously, we had some news out of it. What'd you think, Pat? Oh, I thought it was fascinating, uh, impactful. I spoke with the, the director, Pat Condellis, today. As a matter of fact, this morning, and we discussed it a bit. And I, I told him that, that the actual audio of the wiretaps, the conversations between... Christian Dawkins and Will Wade and Sean Miller, I thought, really drove it home. As he, he said, it lands different when you hear the audio. Uh, I think you get a much better sense of what was going on. And it just, to me, it reiterates the, first of all, exactly how the, the game works and worked, what coaches were trying to do and who they were trying to do it with. And it, it reiterates to me the point that, I mean, Arizona and LSU are just lying to themselves if they if they want to continue to make excuses to believe that their coaches were somehow not breaking NCAA rules. I mean, that's all there is to it. Let me reset the thing. And again, I'm in it, but I don't know. I did not see the movie until recently. So I, and I didn't know how they were setting it up. It's basically Christian Dawkins, who is the the middle. Anyone I think would know who he is in this. He was a would be sports agent. It's basically his story. He's in the he's on the screen like 70 percent of the time. I think there's only a few people in the movie. His parents. Christian, his attorney, Steve Haney, myself, another reporter from the Wall Street Journal. I think Fred Van Vliet makes a brief appearance. That's about he it. He did? Yep. Most of it is Christian telling his story of wanting to be this uh, basketball agent, getting to the cusp of getting there, and then getting caught up in this whole FBI investigation into him, how it all went down, all the different stuff. Probably about three quarters way through the film, they or towards the end, they they do play some of the FBI wiretape tapped phone calls between Christian and Sean Miller, Christian and Will Wade, uh, including some that had never before been played, including at the trial. So those would be leaks of those tapes and be pretty interesting. So that's kind of the part. I think there's an interesting story about Christian. He's a very colorful individual, a uh, big personality, tells oh, the yeah. story very interestingly. And I think people will like or dislike him or what. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how he comes how, comes off on it. But then there's the parts that I think that the, the nitty gritty 
granular details where it's like, well, what exactly did Will Wade say? And I agree with you. When you listen to Will Wade, you know, uh, us three reported on the strong ass offer tape a year ago. We ran a transcript of that tape on in, on Yahoo Sports, and it was a big story. Uh, Lo and behold, Wade it was, was also an accurate story. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the people who said it wasn't accurate, yeah, it was accurate. Now you can hear. Okay. Most ridiculous. That was one of the more ridiculous defenses. Like, do you really yeah. think the three of us were just going to make up a conversation? <laughs> yeah. We're going to just throw our reputations and careers on the line on that. Yeah, I think I'd think like to said. bankrupt my family right now, get fired, <laughs> never work again. Also, I can make up a, a a conversation that doesn't even get Will freaking Wade. Who cares? <laughs> of all people, fired for no benefit to myself. You grew up in Boston, and I caught you two into it, also. Dan. Just admit it. You just grew up <laughs> yeah. hating LSU, and this is your that's what everyone. Yeah, I get. Data. I get that one. You guys had you had it out for LSU basketball. I've been writing for twenty five years. I've never <laughs> written one story about LSU basketball. That I wait in the weeds all this all this time to finally pounce on this Midland forgettable program. Like what? Yeah. I mean, why would we do that? Especially when the Southern District of New York could come out at any moment and say. There is no tape of that and just sure. <laughs> absolutely destroy us. Like yeah. it was always true. My God, I, I, I don't mind if you want to explain it away, but please enough yeah. with that. We had to deal with last year. Anyway, those I think will be interesting. What do you think, Pete? Well, Wade, to his credit, never denied that the call existed. He just said, I haven't heard it. If, if I recall right, this is obviously, yeah. you know, pretty much a year ago, 50 weeks ago, whatever it is. So, no, it, it was interesting. You know, I watched it uh, last night and some today. And my takeaway is this, like, you can see why Christian Dawkins charmed the pants off of college basketball. He's a very funny guy. Pat mentioned it or you mentioned it on our text chain last night, the, the line about uh, El Chapo. Like, no offense to El Chapo, <laughs> but I got to get out of here when he was in yeah. jail with the FBI. With them. There, there are some... He does have like a nice, uh, that guy's like the Dalai Lama. Like he does have like a nice, he has a nice way about him in a way. Like you could see him bringing in people, trusting him. He speaks the language. He speaks, you know, the old line, the the boardroom and the pool room or whatever. He kind of, he kind of transcends a lot of things. So it was interesting to hear it from his perspective, but it's almost like defiantly his perspective, like 15% too much. Like it's trying a little bit too hard. Poor, innocent Christian. It just, it hits you over the head with it. And to me, that was a little bit laborious. But if you're a fan of college, if you have ever wondered how college basketball really works, people are always like, oh, you hate school X, you hate school Y, why are you writing these stories over the years? And it's like, no, my job is to show you how it really works. Well, this is as illustrative, you can see it, touch it, hear it, of how college basketball and that underworld really works. And just the, The notion of coaches talking openly with a middleman about like bidding wars and that Will Wade is driving up the market for you know what, um, you know, it just it is it is jarring to hear it. And I'm going to agree with what Pat said when he when he spoke to the director, like, Will, if you're a university president, if you're a board, if you're sitting in the board meeting at Arizona or at LSU and you play that and you have to say, okay, can we feasibly defend this guy? It's going to be more difficult. That said, nobody cares about the NCAA anymore. Nobody respects the NCAA. No one thinks NCAA enforcement is going to do anything. It's just where we are right now. Iona just stuck its middle finger up to the NCAA. 
in the potential uh, case that's going on, well, the actual case that's going on in Louisville and the upcoming notice of allegations that they're getting. So it's just it's just an interesting moment that we're in right now. And it's clearly a moment where we're on the precipice of some kind of change. We just don't quite know what that change is. And now this comes at a moment when we're obviously in the middle of a global pandemic. So, you know, the, the minutia of NCAA rules and how they're, you know, how they're applied feels a little bit frivolous, as Dan said to start the show. But I, uh, I, I'll i be really curious because there really was like from the story you broke in the morning, Dan, there really was no fallout. You know, like people almost looked at it like the, the local people was like, oh, here we go again. People throwing mud at Will Wade and John Miller and the disconnect to, to reality and the rules to me, to me just it's it's funny how like wide it's growing. Yeah, well, it's funny. Like Wade at the SEC spring meetings last May and I was there. I mean, his whole dodge on the strong ass offer was, well, I haven't heard the recordings. Nobody's heard the recordings. So therefore, basically, I can't talk about them. Well, now we've heard the recordings. So I would like to hear what LSU has to say about it. So I asked LSU and shockingly, they have no comment. So, you know, they're just going to stay in the bunker on this for as long as humanly possible. And I don't think their fans care. Here's what I wonder. If the NCAA is trying to put together a, a notice of allegations for LSU, and before all you had was a Yahoo story on this, well, now you've got audio of a FBI wiretap that you can hear. Is it applicable or is that still just another media report that you're getting. I don't know. Uh, to me, it's much more I tangible, mean. direct, and usable. So I would think from an NCAA standpoint, this documentary could be very useful. I, mean, I don't know how the NCAA couldn't use it. The only thing you could argue is it's not the full call, and thus there might be context to it. But that's literally also the case in, in federal trials. You can't sure. run you know, a thousand hours of phone calls. This is the part where they're talking about this. I don't know. I don't really care what they do to the I, I don't care whether Will Wade's the coach or not. I don't care if Sean Miller's the coach or not. I think it kind of goes to always one of the things I've been saying for a lot of years. And I, I get the same thing sometimes from athletic directors and stuff. And it's like, I get that that you guys want to play pretend and you want to pretend that this isn't going on. And the reason to the NCA want that, that that people in college sports, let me put it that way want to play pretend is because amateurism serves them well. Sure. And they get all they they don't have to pay the players, they don't have to pay taxes, and they get all funding coming in they're trying to control has to come through them. So their way of rewarding players for playing for them is taking the booster money, taking the Nike money, taking the TV money. Every dollar you get, all the way down to the local guy who wants to has a car wash and buys a little teeny ad in the program instead of just giving the players a free car wash or whatever. All the money comes to us, and then we reward them with fixed costs of tuition, room, board, and 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 stipend after much screaming. And then, oh, we'll build you a, a bigger uh, facility, or we'll we'll get you new gear, or you get to fly in a private plane. We also get new offices and stuff. That's what the system they want. So to do that, they have to pretend that they're not in on it. And I do believe there are plenty of athletic directors who, who don't know. But if you listen to these tapes, okay, and you think Will Wade and Sean Miller are not in on it, I'll, I, I, I can't tell you what to believe. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. but I'm not going to be that naive. 
The same thing I said about Kansas. The same thing I've said about all these schools through the years that we've done these things. Of course they know. This is how it works. I covered, I started covering college basketball mostly from the AAU ground up. I didn't cover as many NCAA basketball tournaments. I was at these AAU events. I covered tons of recruiting. And so all I ever heard about it from, a lot of it was from the AAU guys and the players. And and the stories were all just like, oh, of course they're paying. Of course they're paying. Everyone's paying. And then you go the other way and they're like, nobody's paying. I'm shocked to even hear this. I don't make any deal. What, you know, and you go, this is just a fallacy, right? And so cover it real. This is how it works. Now, the best thing for the NCA to do, to my opinion, is to have acknowledged that a long time ago and changed the stupid system. Well, sure. Because this is playing pretend. This isn't real. Will Wade is, I mean, it's, he's just sitting there laughing about this stuff. And Miller's just laughing about it. And like, at one point they go, well, he's trying to recruit Nazir Little. He's asking about these AAU coaches and and who actually probably had no control over Little at all. Seems like it was all, they're all tricking each other. Everyone's tricking each other. And he's asking Christian about it. And he says to Christian, well, you know, and Christian goes, yeah, these guys want to get taken care of because they've been doling out money, which they apparently weren't even. And he, and he goes, it's you in Miami. And Sean goes, well, Miami can't, uh, beat us on that. I, I forget the exact line, but it's it's not like wait what I'm I'm, I'm stunned at this behavior. I can't, I would not uh, we would not be you know it's just very casual. Now is that like this silver bullet that oh my god Sean Miller must lose his job? It doesn't matter if Sean Miller loses his job. It matters to Sean Miller. I get that, but it, there's just another guy steps in, right? Jerry Tarkini was the worst of the worst of the worst. He's been dead for a long time. Like, he hasn't coached it. <laughs> like, yeah, that didn't changed. exactly magically clean up the game when Jerry Tarkanian yeah. went out. Jerry Tarkanian was not the problem. Jerry Tarkanian was the truth teller. Right. He's the one going, what are you on me for? They're buying them. Va- you know, I, I like transfers because their cars are already paid for. You know, like, the, <laughs> you know, the movie starts with a Tark quote, right? Yeah. Uh, so nine out of 10 schools are cheating. The other one's in last place. Yeah. This is. This is the reality. And that's, I think my problem with all of this is always like, don't, why do, okay, if you want to lie to yourself, you want to lie to your fans, you want to lie to your sponsors, you want to lie, 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 lie. Don't lie to me. I know what's going on. And this, in this movie is what's going on because I've known Christian Dawkins in some form or another. I've known a hundred of them. Right. And he's just the one that got caught up in the thing. That's why he's so stunned that it happens. I've been doing what everyone else is doing. And so- Give me a break. If you're clean, if you're, you would never talk to Christian Dawkins. Right. Like, they yeah, all the talk thing. to Christian you're, Dawkins. You're taking his calls. That was one of the best things, too, at the beginning of the, I think it was early in the movie. I might have been later on, where the sting is revealed to Christian. And they're like, hey, you know, you can flip and you can give us Rick Patino and you can give us Andy Miller or you're in trouble. And during that talk, his phone rings and it's Sean Miller. Sean Miller's <laughs> calling him. It's and like, then they add Sean Miller to the list. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, uh, we want Sean Miller too, and Andy Miller. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like it's not like people were running away from Christian Dawkins because they were concerned about his character. I mean, come on, they're calling him. Hey, what can we do? If a twenty-two-year-old community college dropout can bring an entire sport to its knees, the sport probably needs to change. 
And that's what Christian Dawkins is. He's a a scam artist that like deeply penetrated this whole system. Now he's charming and he's charismatic, but he offered no real skills. Like he he didn't, he didn't, he couldn't make them money necessarily. Like he offered no other skill than connection. You know, the fact that someone of his limited experience and skill set could compromise the entire billion dollar industry of college basketball, I think says something that it needs to change because people like the, the notion that Andy Miller couldn't talk to his players. Van Fleet even said it like he was like, Andy Miller could talk to me. He was like, it was, it was Christian who talked to me. Like they needed someone to translate, someone to connect, someone to uh, do that. And you know what, if this hadn't happened, there'd be five more Christian Dawkins coming down, coming down the pike. And there are aspiring Christian Dawkins is everywhere right now. Just like young Christian Dawkins read soul influence by Dan Wetzel. And it was inspired (laughs) to do this. People of the next generation, if the amateurism rules stay the same, are going to watch the Christian Dawkins documentary and look up to uh, and look up to him. Christian's heroes were the AAU coaches of the 90s and the 2000s who started the whole like real funding of the black market by linking AAU to the agent world. And that's really where this whole market has has worked for the last two decades or so. He went around and, and figured out like the ways the black market worked and, and and as he was doing, and he's kind of an earnest kid. He's a little bit nerdy. Remember he was like a terrible basketball player. He went to St. Mark's in uh, over in Massachusetts and showed up and like basically couldn't dribble, but he was just obsessed with rankings and obsessed with marketing. The funniest part of the movie, I think is when he was like, yeah, I ranked myself number one. I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Said he was six, two when he's five, 10. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. even close. Yeah. He's six, two, like I'm six, 10. Yeah. So I, I would recommend it to our listeners. Look, if you're listening to our podcast, you're probably going to like this documentary. Oh, uh, yeah. But, and you're going to be sort of just fascinated by some of the nuances of it. And it's fairly entertaining, too. It's not – It's not, other than Dan's parts, it's not that dry. <laughs> well, that – I mean, uh, I saw Christian at the first trial at the hotel, and uh, we were talking, and his, his – I think he had his aunt there with him, was kind of helping him out and just offering support. His parents were working. And um, she's like, yeah, he read that book. And I, I was like, Christian. Soul Influence was not a how-to book, okay? <laughs> I did not know that I was inspiring a seventh grader in Saginaw to, to whatever, get into it. The more light you shine on this, the more they should sit there, I, it, you know, and do it. They did keep in the part where I was like, you know, there was this whole bit where this is an outrage that Adidas would pay Brian Bowen Jr., 20,000, it was 20,000 maybe to play AAU ball after a sophomore year. Yeah, like switch AAU teams, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was this outrage. This is horrible. And everyone's scowling at Adidas. And all. Adidas knows what it's doing as a business. They value. That's his value. I might think that's a little ridiculous, but that's the value. Adidas decides what the value is. They, they, they're they a profitable company. They say it's tw- worth 20 grand. And I said, if Google or Apple or Yahoo or any of these companies from from the Silicon Valley came in and said, we want the number one STEM student out of Saginaw, Michigan. We're going to give you a $20,000 summer deal and you're going to work for us for the summer and you're going to help us write code or whatever the heck you do. And we're doing it because A, we want to cash in on your talent now and B, because we want to, when you come out of college, maybe we have a, a heads up if you continue to be a really great potential employee You'll sign with us instead of the other guys. And if they did that, people would celebrate that someone in the town got such a great deal, that this kid was so talented, that they had worked so hard and all of this. It's a good thing. But because college athletics wants that 20 grand, 
we must get every last drop of Adidas's money because amateurism, it's a criminal act. Yeah. Okay. Adidas giving 20 grand to a kid whose dad is a disabled a police officer on disability in Saginaw, Michigan is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But the phoniness and the hypocrisy and the lies and the playing pretend that Christian Dawkins doesn't exist. And your coaches would never talk like this on a phone call to someone like that. Turns it into an offense. And it's just it's been a lie since the first time I started following college basketball, and it's a lie to the day. And they need to change it because all you're doing is lying. That's it. You're just lying to everyone if you don't think this is going on. That's always been my point, is just stop lying to us. That's it. I just, I'm tired of hearing the charade. I'm tired of these people denying what's obvious. And, you know, I don't care. Whatever the rules are, fine. Say you actually adhere to the rules or change the rules. One of the two. Right. And uh, right now, nobody's adhering to the rules, but they want the same rules. And but so, if, you know. and our point, I think, in always reporting on this, because people go, why do you report on it if you don't believe in the rule? Because there's the more you show that, there actually is a, is a better effect on change, A. And B, yeah. Christian says it himself. Coaches that pay players are good guys. The ones that don't are the bad guys. <laughs> and you know, like in some ways, I agree with that. Now, I think if there are rules, you need to follow them. All right. There's certain things I don't like in different sports. Uh, you know, certain rules. I don't like uh, the uh, alternate possession rule in college basketball either. But when there's a tie up, that's the <laughs> that's the rule. <laughs> that's the rule. OK, you can't pay your way around the alternate possession. Rules. Right. That's the rule. You can't just go, well, we're not going to do that this time because I got a seven footer jumping against a five foot ten kit. So, you know, these are the rules. Obey them. If you're going to tell me that this is real, then I'm going to tell you when it's a lie. Yeah, and exactly. it's it's almost always a lie. That's I've just yeah, I've had too many coaches just lie to my face or at a podium, and I was sitting there in Destin, Florida, last May, listening to Will Wade, and you're just like, come on, just stop, just stop, everyone, stop. And this documentary, it's it's not going to stop it, but it sure shines a, a reality check on it. So this is a, a funny little like small world thing as you're talking about the money going to all the wrong places. I was trying to think earlier in the pod of the name of the Chicago AAU coach from like a generation ago. Larry Butler is his name. He was a Nike guy. He had like Igadala. He had Dwayne Wade. He was like a real guy. Do you remember him, Dan? Yes, I do. I know him. Yeah. So anyway, guy, he was Christian Dawkins' guy. hero. Like Christian Dawkins yeah, wanted to meet Larry guy. Butler like desperately. And then when he did, he was disappointed because Larry Butler was like, dude, don't sell the kids. <laughs> and like. <laughs> That was like he kind of wanted to know, like, how to work the angles and how to press. And th there are a lot of layers in this grassroots game. And what all people always said about Christian was his genius was he could, like, see through all the layers at once because it is a it is a complicated, dense black market where you can sort of get it's hard to explain the intricacies of it. But like because the money's moved everywhere through these shoe teams, people change, names change. Everything's always kind of like moving, uh, moving around. But uh, so I just texted two coaches. Hey, what was the name of that old a you guy out of Chicago? And they, they said Larry Butler. And then one of them just texted me. We still get a scouting service. It's the worst thing we get. and We pay a ton of money for it. And that's what the money's going to. It's going to Larry Butler, who like puts out a Microsoft Word doc, like Pat 40, six foot two from Colorado Springs with there's no actual thing to it. But it's just a way to like launder money and maybe someday get a player from Larry Butler. And well, one of the key elements, and you see it in the conversation where Sean Miller's having with with uh, Christian about uh, recruiting little, 
everybody says they're the guy who, yeah, who right. can deliver the player. And the mystery is who's really the guy. Sure. Is okay. So here are these the 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 the, the, the implication in the movie is that these two AAU coaches are basically saying, We're in charge, we've been paying him. There's no evidence they actually ever paid the family. In fact, they came out, the Littles came out very strongly against that. NC investigation cleared him. There's nothing involving Miami. There's nothing involving North Carolina, right? There's all this stuff. So here are people lying, cheating the cheaters to cheat. Every Nobody knows who to pay. That was Christian's value. Sure. Is, and he got duped on this one, it appeared. But he would be the one to say, I'm in control or I know who's in control. Pay that guy, not that guy. Uh, yeah. There was a part in the, the in the where TJ Gasnola testifies about throwing like fifteen grand at DeAndre Ayton's friend, and that was just like, yeah, thanks, dude. Some dude Darnell. named Arnell got Darnell. fifteen grand. Yeah, just yeah. got fifteen yeah. grand. Some Jamaican just guy being around. came over to babysit him. Yep. Who's yeah. the guy? And that's why it's very complicated because there's if you're you could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the wrong guy and you don't get the player, and then what do you do? You go get your hundreds of thousands of dollars back. You can't. Yeah. The amazing thing. And it goes to, of course, the actual fundamental underground nature of all of this. But, you know, Sean Miller's making, what, three and a half million? I don't know. Uh, Will Wade's making two and a half, three million. Rick Pitino is making seven million. And these guys who are supposedly these smart, in-touch, you know, CEO types of these big schools, big programs are looking around going, oh, I, I really need that 22-year-old Juco dropout to help me now. I, you know, that's that's what it is. Is you, you you find yourself you you portray yourself as this this see all know all CEO, and you're like, man, I need a hustler here. I need a street hustler to help me. That's the state of the game. Did anything surprise you, Dan, in the documentary? From you, you sat in the trials more than any reporter. I did not know that they offered Christian a deal. There's this great scene in there where Christian tells the story. He goes to this meeting at the W Hotel and um. Manhattan, and he thinks it's going to be a meeting, and it's it, the undercover agent, this woman Jill Bailey, based or that was her pseudonym, you know, reveals herself as an FBI, and he's just like, "What the heck?" And she goes, "Make a deal right now, help us get Andy Miller and Rick Pitino." I did not know that, and then I didn't know that when he said no, they came in with like ten, fifteen guys with machine guns pointed at him, you know, assault rifles. I don't know if they're machine guns, but uh, pointed at him and. Uh, you know, it's like, what the hell? Like, um, Christian Dawkins is not a guy that you're looking at and going, here's a here's a risk to public safety. Yeah, I mean, he's not know. a menace to society. No, he's not unarmed. He's a, he's a kid. He's a he's a kid. He's like, that's, that's it. He, and and so, he said he said, I just closed my eyes right then because I didn't want to see myself get shot. Yeah, yeah he, he thought, thought he was going to get, get shot. shot. Yeah. Then they took him to the uh, the, the, the same. The, they have a federal prison and holding cell right in lower Manhattan. This is where Epstein killed himself or didn't. Da, da, da. No. Uh, <laughs> if we start talking about that on the pod, you know we're in trouble. <laughs> Let's not go down that. Let's not go down that. No. Killed himself. Didn't kill. I don't, I don't know. for June. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, this this damn coronavirus yeah. goes so long. Yeah. We'll talk great what moments are... in the MCC Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Michael Abelotti's in there right our, now. Our listeners may get a kick out of like from covering that those cases, those three cases, in dealing with the different lawyers, prosecutors, different SDNY people. It's amazing, like 
uh, Harvey Weinstein was represented by the same lawyer that Tony Bland was represented by. So I'm like reading the New York <laughs> Times the other day about Weinstein and it's uh, – which was it the mob lawyer who represented Bland? Is that Schachter? I don't remember. No, uh, no Schachter not was, Schachter. Schachter represented Gatto poorly as Dan uh, noted in a few yeah. columns. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it was, the, it was the outlandish guy who got caught having an affair and ended up on like the front page of the Post during uh, uh, <laughs> during that time. He's like He was like – because he also represented El Chapo I think, huh? Um, El Chapo, El Chapo is in that prison. And that's yeah, when, yeah. when, when yeah, Christian just, says, I didn't yeah. like the prison. No offense to El Chapo. Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to El no Chapo, but I got to get out of in the prison. <laughs> it's a big time prison. It's right next. I, I used to walk by it every day on the way to court. It's right there. Yeah. yeah it's, I don't know. This, yeah, it was Lick, Lichtman. It was uh, Lichtman, Lichtman was the lawyer. And I think Lichtman had, it was either Lichtman or Shatner had Weinstein. But anyway, it's just. It's funny how that little world, like people in it kept popping up in all of these like actually really important American stories that were uh, that were unfolding. Uh, I uh, there was a couple of tapes I didn't know, you know, that we heard. I, we, we've heard we you know, we've heard a million things about what tapes existed, didn't exist. And there were a couple of them in there that that were not introduced in court, to the best of my knowledge, guys, and uh, that were in the movie. So I was like, huh, good score for. HBO to get those. Yeah, and there's more tapes. I mean, we've oh, heard of more rumored tapes, so you never yeah. know when these things are going to come. That's kind of your risk if you're a college basketball uh, or you're the an AD is like, well, maybe there's nothing else. You know? Do you think like LSU just won a national title? Do you think Scott Woodward could just fire Will Wade and no one would notice because everyone's in Louisiana is just Probably. so deliriously happy over? I just Joe don't Burrow. think anybody cares. I just don't. Yeah. And I, I'm not yeah. even going to tell you you're supposed to care. We've talked about this off there, Dan, but like Sean Miller looks poor right now. Like it doesn't look like he's going to help these NCA cases. People don't understand from the outside. They can eat you alive because they take so much of your time, so much of your energy. It's like going through like something equitable, like a three year divorce. That's like it just because it threatens your future, your family, et cetera. And uh, by the end of this season, Sean Miller really didn't look well. And I think he'd end up being better off. Look, he's made probably somewhere near $10 million since this story broke um, and sort of skated on thin ice, despite pretty much every coach in America and every administrator in America, other than those in Arizona, thinking he should be fired. Like, I think he's better off just walking away now and starting again. And he's a fine coach. He can go coach in the NBA. He can go coach somewhere else. It's not to be, I think at a year, if he did that a year from now, he'd feel like he's in a much better place. Like just as a human being. It's tough. Especially because you're now under attack for basically doing the job the way it has to be done to be successful. Yeah. When they say someone's a good recruiter, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah. It's not. But, oh, that not- guy has got some folksy <clears throat> tales, you know, or colorful. There's a little bit of that, but, little, but you're not even in the ball game. Yeah. And that's my part about playing pretend. Oh, he's a great recruiter, huh? Right. Why? Well, well and that's the part, and I thought they did a good job in this movie of of portraying and splicing together the the adamant denials from Sean Miller and from Will Wade, you know, in their press conferences. I never did this. I never did that. I never did business with Christian Dawkins. Oh, really? Well, here you are on the phone with Christian Dawkins. What are you doing there? You know, you're not talking about your barbecue that weekend. All right, that's enough of the movie. Maybe we'll talk about it more when people have seen it. That's our preview. You got now. You got to wait a couple weeks if you have HBO. At HBO, I guess. Thursday should be opening round of the NCAA basketball tournament. Obviously not going to happen. There's that great joy of, of the idea the games tip at like 1210 on Thursday, at, you know, or 910 in the morning out west. And like there's just games going on and 
you get into a certain team and anytime some big numbers up on a small number it's everyone gets excited and you start rooting for northern iowa and you don't even know iowa had a northern <laughs> it's all south <laughs> i think i once debated like could does every doesn't every state have every direction <laughs> and they all like, do nor- as a but then fact. the big debate was there's no northeast idaho <laughs> but i disagree <laughs> I think just, there's a northeast Idaho is just it's just like a mile apart from northwest the Idaho. There is there there is they're just very close together. Yeah, Isn't that where you have to drive from Pullman to eat? Because <laughs> there's this the, the, the most arrogant school in the country is Northwestern State, which is in which is in Louisiana, but refuses to identify its state. Like everyone should know. <laughs> they pulled off a great upset. Wasn't that a 14-3 over Iowa State? They've, they've done some good ones. They're good, good work. I just think they're a little arrogant. That's just me. People think Texas is arrogant. Is I think Northwestern. No, it's Thibodeau. It's, no. Thibodeau. No, Thibodeau. Thibodeau's Nichols. Nacogdoches is in no. Texas. It's Nat- Nacogdoches. damn nowhere. It's Nachitoches, isn't it? Nachitoches. No. Nachitoches. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, identify yourself properly, please. <laughs> that in Northern Iowa in the CBS uh, abbreviations is no Iowa, which I always thought was good. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we'll just briefly start with this. Is there what's your favorite first round memory? Either covering it, watching it as a kid, watching it from some bar somewhere. Do you have one just epic first round memory that you just that just seals that seals this event for you? No, the, the the first NCAA tournament game I covered as a professional journalist is 1990 Knoxville. Number one seed, Michigan State. Coached by Judd Heathcote, Steve Smith was the best player, and they were playing Murray State, and I covered Murray. Murray's the 16 seed. And that was almost the first 16 over the one. That went into overtime. Uh, Michigan State pulled it out, 75-71. But the best thing about it, Popeye Jones was a center for Murray State. Came in, he was like 6'6", 370. They got him down to about 300. And once he, once he lost 70 pounds, lo and behold, he was really, really good. In that game, he had 37 points and 11 rebounds, and he took 36 shots. He took wow. 36 shots. He, see, he was the team. It's just like they're double-teaming him, they're triple-teaming him, he's throwing it at the rim, and then he'd go rebound it and put it in. It was amazing to watch. And I was sitting there. That was one of those, all right, I am 25, and I'm freaking out. It's like, oh, my gosh, the first 16 over one seed – Upset's going to happen, and I'm going to I'm going to cover it. So I was like, "Oh, this is great! No, this is terrible! Oh my gosh, <laughs> nervous as hell." Was it a day uh, game or Michigan a night State game? You probably first remember. first first game of the tournament. First game, first of the tournament. game of the okay. tournament. Yep, yep. It was one of those noon tip, twelve fifteen tips. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So at least you'd have time to screw it up. Sometimes you could yeah, just oh yeah, screw it yeah. up like impromptu. Yeah, <laughs> and God bless. Yeah, newspaper deadline. Then I had all day to screw it up. Yes, that's a good one. That because people always would credit. Princeton, uh, Georgetown is the closest 16-1. And it was not. It was clearly right? not. It was Murray State. Yeah. They took them to overtime. Like, took them to overtime. Sh- yeah. Should have won the yeah, game. Yeah, Princeton, right? Georgetown was the year before. Yeah. The other 16-1 that doesn't get enough shine is uh, Western Carolina Purdue, which was, Ooh. I believe, 96. Western Carolina gets one last opportunity. Significance of that final sequence etched on the faces of the Catamounts. Gene Cady, 
His team kind of slogged to the end, but was a one. And it was uh, Western Carolina had Phil Hopkins was the uh, was the coach. And I think they had a they had a they had a shot at the buzzer to tie. But Western led the whole way. It was it was like the second closest one uh, behind Mm -hmm. the uh, behind the Murray one. And I did a story a few years later on on Phil Hopkins. He ended up he ended up getting fired after he had recruited the Hayes twins, one of which became a lottery pick after he transferred to Georgia. It was Jarvis or Jonas. Anyway, Phil Hopkins, basically, he proposed to his second wife after they clinched the conference tournament, after they won the automatic bid and what I think was the SOCON. I think they're still in the SOCON. So he, uh, he does that. And then he and his son go get a tattoo, a Nike tattoo <laughs> to celebrate that. Like, and so within three years, Phil Hopkins is fired. His wife left him and, and <laughs> Nike had stopped sponsoring Western Carolina. It was like it was like a country music song, all Brilliant. like all like balled into one. And if he had won, he would have turned into this like, you know, folksy hero oh, yeah. of, of America that, you know, he would have been uh, obviously how we're going to remember Ryan Odom now is like the just this pioneer, this upset pioneer. And uh, when I went to the story on him a couple of years later, he was coaching middle school basketball in uh, Walhalla, South Carolina. Lives change, man. Like, lives, yeah. that lives was uh, March. Things. That was March 14th, 1996, the same day that uh, Princeton ran the back door on UCLA. I remember watching games all day that day. It was just awesome. So I covered that Princeton UCLA game. I Did was you? there. You, yep, Indianapolis, the old RCA dome. Yeah. Remember Reggie Miller was there and he was the star of the Pacers and he was in the crowd. The crowd slowly turned on UCLA and uh, was taunting Reggie. Uh, I remember that. <laughs> so that game is famous because Princeton because Princeton almost beat Georgetown. The Princeton team was a 13 seed and UCLA was a four. Right. So it really wasn't that big of an upset, except it was Princeton and the names. Right. But right. it was an absolutely atrocious basketball game. It was 43, <laughs> 43, 41. Yeah. yeah. Princeton shot 17 of 46 in the game. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they went eight from 27 from three, 29 percent. UCLA went five. It was just a brick show. It was not a good basketball game. Now, it slowly became really exciting because it was like, wait, they might do this. I remember early in the game, I think it was Jelani McCoy, but I will forgive. I will not say it was Jelani McCoy because I don't want to impugn him. But some UCLA defender, you know, Princeton's offense was basically like they'd post a big guy up. I think it was Steve Goodrich. I think they just would post up at the high post. Or maybe it was Chris Doyle. I mean, these were the guys' names, right? Like Chris Doyle and, and Steve Goodrich. Not be, so, but they'd post a guy up the high post. they get the ball to him, and he'd either go like to one of two spots on the three-point line. Someone doing their dishes? What do we got? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Pat's house. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you guys cook? It, instead of the CBS theme music today, we get, we get the soundtrack of dishes being done at the 40 the house. Sound of, yeah, that's, we, we got a lot of people in here. We need a lot of dishes. The soundtrack of the coronavirus. <laughs> people doing dishes in the back of podcast. All right. Anyway. Hey, look, we're all about cleanliness here. Yeah. Wash your hands, whoever that is. Wash your hands. 20 seconds, warm water. Five right. five hungry collegians in the house. Couple of those. This riveting story that here. I'm telling. 
Anyway, they'd post the guy up high, and then he'd either like kick it to like a couple of uh, three-point spots, or he'd do the back door, the little trick pass. That was all the guy would do. And I remember a UCLA defender standing there, and he's like jabbing him in the back as this kid's holding the ball, the Princeton kid, and going, turn around and take me, turn around and take me, like he's taunting him. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't think UCLA watched one second of film. This <laughs> Was it Herrick? Never Jim turning Herrick, around. Defending yeah. national right. champions. Yeah. They were like, yeah, we got this. Like, yeah, no, I'm sure. like, this UCLA team is so unprepared for this game. And that's why Princeton won. And by the end of the game, they run the back door. There's a, again, it was like a three play. It's a simple, simple offense. It just, and then you slow the game down and you get the other team to shoot 38% and you win. By yeah. one. It was a horrible game with a great ending, and it was one of the most exciting, memorable things I ever saw. You know they're going to try to run a backdoor play if they can get it. Under 10. Backdoor. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see what the first half score was. It was 19 to 18. You oh. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. And oh, now, dear. if you don't know that what's coming is yeah. coming, you're like, this is awful, man. <laughs> so I have a, a similar one to that. I was, we, we were kind of our, our homework assignment. And as you know, listeners podcast, no, we don't do a lot of homework before the podcast was to just sort of like go in and dig up and look at some memories. So it was actually kind of fun just going through all the all the tournaments I've covered since being at the Daily Orange in 1998 and covering uh, Syracuse Iona in the uh, in the first round in Lexington, Kentucky. Marius Unulis hit a three in that game. But I vividly remember this game. Uh, I was working at the New York Times. It was in Worcester, Massachusetts. Vermont 60, Syracuse 57 uh, in a 13-4 game. Obviously, the, the peak of the Tom Brennan era. And much like, this is why I went to it, because much like Dan, it was a terrible basketball game. Like every March, you hear Gus Johnson, Sorrentine from the parking lot. The game comes down to fundamentals. Oh, my goodness, Sorrentine from the parking lot and Vermont has a 59-55 lead. I mean, there were probably better games played on parking lots in Worcester that day. <laughs> Jerry McNamara was four for 18. TJ Sorrentine, the hero of the game, and I love TJ. He's a friend. He was five of 20, five of 16 from three. It was 23-19 at the half. It was just a dreadful dismal college basketball game. Taylor Coppenrath, who's other great Vermont player, was 6 of 16 at the now 60-57 final after overtime, which is moderately insane. Like so it was it was <laughs> and again, these games have to be drudgery for a team that was outmanned clearly like Vermont was to come in. But yeah, a lot of times to to get to the upset there is a there is just an element of unsightliness. Uh, it was fun in that arena, though, to really feel it pull towards Vermont. Our friend Chris Wojcik was on the call for Vermont Radio in that game. Our other friend and uh, faithful podcast listener Dave Friedman was uh, was in the house as well. But that's just one. It was just like Vermont, the University of Vermont. I reread my game story. They'd never beaten a Big East team, and they'd never beaten a ranked team in their program's history. And it happens like un in one night on a neutral floor there. So. Sorrentine and Coppenrath are like Ben and Jerry up there, man. They are forever <laughs> legends. They've got a lot of sporting heroes coming out of Vermont. Yeah, is <laughs> an assistant at Brown now, and uh, a lot of people are doing these nostalgia pieces. So I saw he tweeted yesterday that he talked to uh, Seth Davis from The Athletic for a, uh, for a story. And let's just put it this way. 
TJ's picking up the phone in March when reporters are calling to walk through that time. It was a, it sure. was a magical time. He shouldn't have played that year, but he broke his wrists earlier in his career and ended up with a redshirt year, and that aligned him with Coppenrath, and that's kind of allowed everything to uh, allowed everything to happen. It's funny you talk about the guy that made that shot and what where and now the fact that he's forever linked to it. I'm in San Diego in late February to see San Diego State, February 25th. They're playing Colorado State. And I kind of knew this already, but it, it, it crystallized when Colorado State comes out to warm-ups. And the assistant coach, I look, and it's, oh, it's Ali Farokmanesh, uh, oh. the, the northern Iowa assassin who shot down number oh. one seed Kansas in 2010. And I covered that game. Boy, I, 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 I invested, like, most of my like entire self-worth in that game story because I was it was just such a great moment that happened right in front of me. You can't be serious with that shot. Talking to Farouk Manesh's parents who were Iranian immigrants and they were volleyball players and they wanted Ali to be a volleyball player. He ended up like in basketball and he was the guy that made the classic no 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 yes. Yeah. Uh Shot that thing to was beat downtown, Kansas. baby. Ooh. Oh yeah, pull up on the on the run, like you know. I mean, like you should never shot that ball. I think they were trying. Maybe they were up one, or maybe it was tied. They were trying to protect the lead, play the game, yeah. lead the clock, and he just pulls up and jacks it and makes it. So I had I had a good time talking to him about that. I'll take obscure March heroes for eight hundred, Alex, <laughs> that are currently in college basketball. I was around Dayton a little bit this year as they uh, as they had their magical run that unfortunately couldn't be uh, that couldn't be finished off and realized that uh, one of their development guys, workout guys, I assume, is Brett Comer, who was the point guard oh, of Dunk yeah. City. Who would yeah. lo- who who would throw all of the uh, all of the lobs and of all the first round upsets that I've been able to witness in person, I think that one was the was the most memorable only because it was just so audacious. So Georgetown, I've seen Georgetown get uh, punked twice in the first round. Ohio obliterated them in Providence uh, in 2010. I mean, it was 97-83, and it wasn't even that close. Georgetown wasn't in the game for a dribble, and that. Florida Gulf Coast game was trending the same way. They did make a late push, cut it to somewhere around six. Proud. Comer. Up and down. Oh, 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 no. He drops the end. <laughs> Feeler has brought him out of their seat. One of those moments where you like sit up in your seat. It wasn't quite the Statue of Liberty play that uh, Pat and I were lucky enough to witness in, uh, in, in Boise. But it was just... One of those, like, wow, this team's for real. And then they mowed San Diego State in the second round. And I think they ended up losing to, what, Florida in the Sweet 16, yeah. if you guys yeah. if you guys remember right. But just, like, the pure boldness of, uh, of Brett oh. Comer and the boys will, will stick with me for a long time. Florida Gulf Coast was awesome because yeah. Yeah. they were the upset team that played hot, like, exciting. Yes. And oh, I get yeah. it. You got to take the air out of the ball and all that stuff, but... Yeah, they were fun to watch. And yeah, those al- those alley-oops, Dunk City, I mean, it was just great. The other thing I love about the NCAA basketball tournament, and they actually kind of gotten away from this a little bit more lately as it's gotten more popular, but that they still would play these events in places like Worcester, Mass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Spokane, yeah. you know, and Des Moines and, and, and what'd you say, Knoxville. And I wish they were actually would stay a little bit more of those because I get it. You want those big NBA arenas and there's a lot of money to be made, but... It's like I it's there's something cool about it being in Worcester where no sports happen other than like <laughs> some, you know, junior hockey or yeah. something yeah. A, 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 opposed to being up in Boston. 
right? Where it's like just another event for TD Guard. Like, I love that these these smaller towns would get these big events. Uh, I was and be like, we're going live to Worcester. Albany before the coronavirus uh, started. Albany yeah, was Albany. hosting the, one of the yeah. northeast subregionals. Yeah, I, I covered the 92 in Worcester with uh, John Ooh. Calipari's UMass team beating Jim Beheim's Syracuse team. That was a hell of a coaching job by Cal, that team, I will say. That that team had no business going to the Sweet 16 and almost making the Elite Eight uh, that year. That was that was amazing. Was that the Lawrence Moton timeout? Yes. Okay. That's that was second I, round. Yeah. Second round. Yeah, yeah. UMass won 77-71 in OT. That UMass Harper Williams shooting. hit a three. Harper Williams, left-handed center. Never shot a three, and then he hit it. Was he ended up? He was a better three-point shooter than their shooting guard, Jim McCoy, who's their leading scorer, but only had range of seventeen feet, and he was the shooting guard. That's why I was like, "Cal, what are you doing? How are you getting? How are you putting putting this together?" Were you at that game, Dan? I was not. You were not. I was not. You were not at the Centrum for that. Uh, no, the, the Centrum. We played yeah. a little off-day basketball at Holy Cross. We had a good time oh. there. I hit a run uh, where I saw Ohio Georgetown in ten. I saw the great Butler Old Dominion game, which was a, a classic, like, slugfest. Uh, this was in 11. They actually played in the tournament uh, a couple times, but the one in 2011. Takes it down the right side. On the baseline. Lost the basketball. It's on the floor. Shot is up. And it's good. Shot counts at the buzzer. Buzzer comes out of the pack with it. Matt Howard uh, with, the, with the buzzer beater to win, and Kent Bazemore was on uh, Old Dominion. It's funny when you look back at, like, these – Big upsets now, like a couple years later, I or a couple years before, I had Cleveland State over Wake Forest. Well, Cleveland State had Norris Cole. He ended up being okay. You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. like, they, they become a little more evident probably in uh, in retrospect than at the time. But one of my favorite recent ones that I that I was able to witness was uh, was Mercer over Duke in Raleigh. Oh, Old yeah. Bob Hoffman, the NAI lifer, and they just pick and roll Duke to death. I forget which Duke one and done was. Uh, it was uh, Jabari. Um, yeah, Jabari Parker. 14, Jabari Parker, yeah. Jabari Parker yep. couldn't couldn't guard the pick and roll to save his life. And Bob Hoffman just rammed it down their throat. They had a bunch of veteran guards. And then the entire Mercer campus bust up for the <laughs> for the round of 32 game against Tennessee and they laid a dinosaur egg. <laughs> but Bob Hoffman like coached NAI. Like he was just this like total grinder lifer. You know, to him, Mercer was like coaching Duke. And I just I just remember kind of going through going through his past. Kelvin Sampson had a great line about him. He was like, the only person who expected to win that game was Bob Hoffman. Because <laughs> Bob Hoffman <laughs> is a very high opinion of himself as a coach. So he got fired, I want to say, last year, because uh, they hired Greg Gard from Purdue. And it was kind of a bummer. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, you know, you, you tie those people in those to those moments like that. All right. Well, before I wrap this up, there's one part of this that is sad. The best the best place for years to watch uh, the NCAA basketball tournament has been Vegas. It's a huge weekend in Vegas. You know, the, the excitement, the sports books, the, it's just everything. And everybody, almost everybody likes Vegas. You can always find something. And Las Vegas closed down. I, I don't even know what to say. Casinos are done for time being. The lights are out. I mean, this is unbelievable. I go to Vegas four or five, sometimes longer Time, many times a year to cover fights, either the UFC or big boxing matches. Always there for work. I have not been there on a true vacation or, or, or in years. So I'm always there really for work, but obviously it's still Vegas. I just know so many, it's a little different viewpoint of Vegas when you stay off the strip or you just, you're working and you're there for six days. It's not quite the same. And I just feel 
there's a lot of economic hardship all over the country and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But I, I just don't, I feel terrible for Las Vegas because there are a lot of just, you know, cooks and waitresses and dealers and, 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 and maintenance people. And I mean, it's a blue collar city and I, I don't know how this is going to work. So uh, a little nod that, you know, it's, it's people are like, oh, I can't gamble or I can't sit in a, I can't sit in the sports book and watch. I just, I mean, this is an entire industry that pretty much fuels a whole city. I just feel terrible for, for the people of Las Vegas where college basketball kind of has this odd home. And of course, a lot of them are fans of UNLV, which uh, historically has had, had a really strong uh, program. So it's, it's weird. It's, you can gamble. There's nothing to gamble on or practically nothing to gamble on. Yeah. Well, to bring that home, Dan, MGM stock a month ago, February 18th, was $32. Today it is $6.34. So yeah, that gives you a sense of like the economic ruin that, that Vegas yeah. is in. And yeah. certainly I, I I went there annually for the AAU stuff for, you know, 15 years probably, you know, to go to go out there and uh, yeah, stay off at the stay at the Marriott, go to Piro's. It's a great uh, it's a great town. We, we will close with the notion that there are still things to bet on. However, uh, I got an email from uh, the fine people at Bovada, you know, when you report, you get a ton of PR emails and the subject line is no sports. Gamblers can now bet on the weather for real. The weather. Hi, I just wanted to reach out with an announcement from Bovada, a leading online sports book. With most sporting events canceled slash postponed for an indefinite period of time because of coronavirus, the site is now offering gamblers the ability to bet on the weather for real. Check out the live lines here and below. And there's a link. For example, what will be the maximum temperature in Jacksonville, Florida on March 18th? Over 83 degrees Fahrenheit is minus 120. Under 83 degrees Fahrenheit is minus 120. What will be the temperature in Vancouver, British Columbia? Over 12 degrees Celsius, you got to be flexible now. You got to be able to do both. Over 12 degrees Celsius, minus 120. Under 12 degrees Celsius, 120. So, yeah, San Antonio, Toronto, New York City, Chicago, Phoenix. Pick your city and you could bet the weather. It's a ready made over under. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I've seen these in the British sports books. You can bet, you know, it's going to snow on Christmas Day in London. Yeah, you can buy, you can bet any anywhere in the world. <laughs> what the hell, right? Hopefully, <laughs> knowing our listeners, hopefully they're like right now, like crushing Bovada's website. <laughs> Is this sure. any stupider than betting on college basketball where you might literally have a starting player who doesn't know Princeton's yeah. High post offense doesn't <laughs> entail turning and trying to cross you up off the bounce. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, or betting on mute animals like horse racing. So, I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm going to go bet over-unders for like 10 different cities. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's Just one remember, thing. I mean, it's, the coronavirus it's is not always sleeting in Shreveport. Yeah. <laughs> Start with that truism. Yes, it's always uh, the over/under on precipitation Shreveport. Always take the over because it's always sleeting. I'll tell you this much: <laughs> any person ever complains about too many bowl games, I'm going to slap them upside the head with the coronavirus. Oh. Uh, uh, I mean, I would kill for one of these. The worst game what was that oh. BC played somebody. Oh yeah, it was it? It was in Alabama somewhere. We it deemed it the worst bowl. game. Like yeah. BC was so excited to go, they fired their coach. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the like, Camellia Bowl would be like the Super Bowl today. Oh, my God. I'd kill for it. Kill for oh. it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, stay strong out there, people. Uh, we hope we gave you a couple laughs. It made me forget about some stuff for a little bit. So we'll be back. We're going to keep going more often. I appreciate the support. Please uh, listen, subscribe, leave reviews, spread the word on social media. We certainly understand this is not a lot going on in college sports, but we're going to we don't care. We don't care. We're going to find a way to keep you entertained a little bit and uh, be safe and uh, hope this ends. Yeah, soon. Keep the suggestions rolling, too. We heard from some people on Twitter. That, that's great. Yeah. Like, love. To Actually, the there were some outs. good ones, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, Name that rolling. tune fight song edition. I was kind of I was into that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Pat would be a great game show contestant. I would be the host. Like, He's a game show host. <laughs> Pat should have been a game show host. He'd be a great game show host. There's still time. The by hair. The way. We, we yeah. should we shouldn't rule that out. All right. I, I would I I would berate people though that were bad contestants. That's the problem. <laughs> Leave us on Twitter what game show you think Pat is most equipped to host, and it would actually prove to our uh, our bosses that somebody listened to this entire podcast. <laughs> My kids got into Deal or No Deal one day during this quarantine, so we watched a bunch in a row, and I just. Uh, the, the the lack of math in, in the new <laughs> deal or no deal contenders. <laughs> like if you know you, I get like just off the street, you may not know the odds on everything, but if you're going on ne- deal or no deal, wouldn't you, wouldn't you <laughs> brush up? I just they they, they they bring a little. You've seen this? They bring like their 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 three friends, and it's uh, like you know like their 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 sister in law and their 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 great aunt Betty. <laughs> and and it's like no, bring like your accountant, an actuary, <laughs> and, and James you know, Holzhauer, a, a tax yeah. guy. But but honey, used to live at fourteen sixty three Main Street. I think that fourteen's going to have a million dollars, and I just believe it. And you're like, dude, don't take the deal, you moron. <laughs> Never seen Deal or No Deal. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. Oh really, I just googled it. It doesn't look familiar at all. <laughs> Have you ever seen nothing. it, Pat? Pete? Uh, Pete? I don't think so. I just I just googled it while you were. While it's you an were assault mid- on math. These people have no idea. You 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 pick. You have a number and you pick these. They have all the models. The, the princess was used to be a model. What are the princesses? <laughs> You've never seen yeah. Deal or No Deal. Anyway, people who on Deal or No Deal have no math skills. It's it's a, it's a simple game of odds. It's a very simple game. And yet they can't do it. So I, I just, it, it started infuriating me, but it's not my money. So then at the end, they're down. They only made like 400 bucks. Like, it was bad luck. Like, no, you should have taken the, the deal for 53,000 when you had a chance. Yeah. All right. I've had enough. Talk to you next week, people. <laughs> you guys never see deal or no deal? <laughs> <laughs>